Dopey Podcast. Dopey Podcast. Well, dopey now podcast. is the time for the Dopey Podcast. When you call in and dopey put podcast. all your life on blast. And you call dopey in podcast. and talk about your past. Because your dopey life was furious, hardcore, and fast. So dopey now podcast. is the time for the Dopey Podcast. It's the Dopey Podcast, the Dopey Podcast, yo. This is the Dopey Podcast. This is the Dopey Podcast. Now if your life was pure, just hardcore and fast, you feel like you want to put your life on blast. Just call up the show and I talk about your past. Cause now is the time for the Dopey Podcast. It's the Dopey Podcast, the Dopey Podcast, yo. This is the Dopey Podcast. This is the Dopey Podcast. This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our good friends at Aloe Recovery, located in sunny Southern California, in Silver Lake, in Malibu, and Western Los Angeles. Aloe was created by our friend Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob, to create a rehab that treats alcoholics and addicts with compassion and connection rather than control. They saw how other systems failed people like us and they wanted to make a better place. They have decades and decades and decades of experience in treating drug addiction and co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness. They make sure the detox is as comfortable as possible. They have amenities you wouldn't believe, including surfing, sound bath meditation, equine therapy, and of course, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. Everyone I know that have been to Aloe really, really, really appreciated the care that they got there. So if you're fucked and you want to get some help and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California, I highly recommend going to Aloe. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by 7thankyous.com, and it's the number 7thankyous.com. Now, I want you to close your eyes and think about someone you always wanted to say thank you to for having an impact on your life. It could be someone who got you through hard times, kept you clean, a teacher, a coach, a mentor, anybody. 7thankyous.com will find that person, provide the easiest way for you to record a thank you video on their website and produce a heartfelt, professional, and polished video to be sent to that special person you want to say thank you to. It's an amazing gift of gratitude that people would never forget. So you go to 7thankyous.com, and that's the number 7, thankyous.com. Go now and give this incredibly unique gift of gratitude by creating a special personalized video for any of these people to receive. Again, that's the number 7, thankyous.com. Send the gift of gratitude. This episode of Dopey is also sponsored by our very good friends at Soberlink. At Soberlink, somebody cares about your recovery. Unfortunately, relapse is so common, especially when it comes to alcohol, because it is widely available and highly prevalent in many social settings. That's why having true accountability and a deterrent from drinking is so important for staying sober. Soberlink has been empowering and helping people with alcohol use disorder since 2011 and is trusted by hundreds of treatment facilities. The Soberlink system consists of a portable handheld device that documents proof of sobriety in real time, keeping you connected to your family, friends, sponsor, treatment professional, recovery coach, or anyone else who worries about your well-being. 
as an exclusive offer to our listeners. Email info at soberlink.com and mention Dopey for 50 bucks off your first device. You do it for that someone who cares. Let Soberlink help you to stay off of the sauce. And you can also check them out at soberlink.com slash dopey to save the 50 bucks. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at Clean Cause, delicious yerba mate clean cause. It is an amazing, sparkling beverage. Have you ever tried yerba mate? It has got a certain tangy deliciousness that I can't describe except that it's delicious and tangy. They are certified USDA organic, and they offer low and zero-calorie options. Do the most with 160 milligrams of naturally sourced caffeine, and you know you're doing good with every sip because 50% of their profits support people like us, people with addiction uh, who are in recovery, and it's helping people who are currently in addiction to get recovery. So support Clean Cause because they support us. It is just simply better caffeine. Use the Dopey code Dopey, D-O-P-E-Y, for 15% off your next order at cleancause.com. If you're going to get a yerba mate beverage that's sparkling, you better fucking get Clean Cause. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at Clean Living Apparel. Clean Living Apparel strives to provide the best NA apparel, addiction recovery inspired t-shirts, hoodies, and other cool gifts for the everyday recovering addict in your life. Clean Living Apparel was created by somebody like you or I, except his name was John and he was an addict from Conway, South Carolina. His mission was to make clothing that didn't blow anonymity, but but supported the cause of recovery and, and let us wave our freak flags in public, but not go too far. If you want to save a little bit of money, use the promo code NARocks. The website is cleanlivingapparel.com. I bought a super cool, giant, pink NA mug, which I love and Linda loves. So check them out. Cleanlivingapparel.com. Save money with the promo code and a rocks. And finally, this episode of Dopey is brought to you by you guys in the Dopey Nation through the power and passion of Dopey Patreon. Please check out Dopey Patreon. It's www.patreon.com slash dopey podcast. And uh, there's a ton of cool shit. Last week, if you're a big Ray Brown fan, Ray Brown was back on the Patreon. I did. I showed a video of me in the '90s interviewing uh, a bunch of indie rock bands in 1999 or '98. Uh, that's the $10 tier. There's a ton of cool shit. My, I did a video with my dad two weeks ago where he read one-star reviews, and I wouldn't be surprised if this week on Patreon you got a glimpse into his opulent uh, upstate estate. So be on the lookout. Join us at patreon.com. More than anything, it helps keep Dopey as happy, joyous, and free as possible. Thank you for that. Also, if you want gear, go to dopeypodcast.com. We have a ton of cool shit. Please check it out. I have new, really cool hats coming in. I, I recently designed and made Dopey Nation hats and these other cool Dopey Trucker hats, which... uh. They will be in next week, so be excited. Also, the old dopey snapbacks are back, and I still have a few Oyve uh, snapbacks too. All right, I also have stickers. I have amazing stickers. Fucking Venmo me if you want some. Just Venmo me however much you want. 
Sorry for all the ads, but it keeps Dopey happy, joyous, and free as well. Here is the fucking show. Welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And my name is Dave, and I'm very excited to bring you the show. I hope you guys are all doing well. Should I do that weird interactive thing where I ask you questions where you can't answer me? Like, how are you guys doing? Or what's going on with you guys? Or whatever. But I hope you guys are doing well. I am on vacation. I am at my father's opulent lake house in upstate New York. My family is at the beach. I wanted to get the show done. It's Friday. I wanted to get the show done today, and I didn't want to stay up crazy late, and I have a really, really exciting interview, so I figure I'll just... I know you probably wanted to hear from Linda or my dad. Maybe they'll pop in at the back. I doubt it. I think my dad will be on the next Patreon. I think you'll see you'll see a lot of things in the Patreon out the house, I think. That's the plan. But there's really important shit happening. First of all... Tom Arnold is on the show today, which I'm very, very excited about. Let's hear the... No, that's not on. Yeah, it's very exciting. Tom Arnold on the show. Um, and he gave a lot of time, and he was very generous and very cool, so I'm, I was very excited about that and excited to give you that information. In other very, very important, exciting news, August 16th, which would have been Chris's uh, 37th birthday is Dopey Day, a.k.a. Christmas in August. What does that mean? It means we're trying to do a big hoopla event where everybody who listens to the show or gives a fuck about the show uh, will put a Dopey logo over their eyes on social media to celebrate Chris, to celebrate Dopey, to help end the stigma around drug addiction, and to just let your freak flag fly. And then real freak flag flyers out there who want to go the extra mile should do some public dopey art. We have some fucking amazing murals coming out. There are two done, one in New York, one in San Luis Obispo in California. There's people in Philly working on one as we speak. Someone in North Carolina is trying to carve out a little piece of the doposphere uh, in Chris's memory. Someone in New Orleans is hustling around to try to make it happen. So if you are an artist who can throw some shit together, help, you know, contact me. I will pay for paint. I will pay for lunch. I will send a dopey hat if you do dopey public art. And that doesn't, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't, I do it for a wall, right? If you want to chalk up your driveway, I don't think I'll send you a hat for that, but please chalk up your driveway, paint a stone, Make a t-shirt. August 16th was Chris's birthday. Let's do it in style and celebrate Dopey Day together. Last week, I talked about my my scares with Bud, like almost getting stoned with a bunch of Dominicans, but nobody seemed worried about me, which is good. Actually, actually one person reached out, and uh, and he was worried about me, so that was nice. But nobody was worried, so I'm glad. But the truth is, I'm doing well, and... Um, you know, I, I was thinking about Chris last night and I was remembering it was one of the first times during while we were making Dopey and we came up here to the lake and Joey Pepper, you know, original Dopey Nation member who's still out there. He just put up a new review. 
you know, wrote all these funny emails dissing Chris and Chris, Chris was going to come out and spend the day out here with me and my family, but it didn't happen. And, uh, and last night I got this weird, I think I, I told him not to or something. And I got this weird twinge of regret, you know, not thinking that this would be the only time that it could have ever happened. But you know, that's how life goes when, you know, life just goes that way sometimes and we have to live with it. And, and the point of the story that I was going to tell you and not to be braggy or anything, but like, because I've stuck it out in my recovery, my life is really good. Like being with my kids up here, being with Linda, being with my dad, it's been a really, 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 really nice time. And it's only because I'm not doing drugs basically. And because I'm pursuing recovery and I don't want to sound preachy. I haven't said that in a long time that I don't want to sound preachy. I don't want to sound preachy, but I want to say that like my recovery makes my life happy. And if you're interested and you're on the fence, just know that it can do it for you too. That's all I have to say about it. That's it. That's all. Expect a full vacation uh, recap with Linda on the show next week. But for now, we're blessed with a beautiful conversation with the one and only Tom Arnold. Here we go. I've been on the Tom Arnold hunt for years, years. That's horrible. I know. Well, and here I am. Well, it's beautiful to have you on the show. And let me give a proper introduction. My name is Dave. Right. It's very nice to meet you, first of all. Nice to meet you, Dave. I'm Tom. Thank you, Tom. Hello. Alcoholic addict. Okay. This is a meeting. This counts as my meeting for today. I'm just that, that little exchange. That's all I needed for today. So proceed. And this is a banner day in the history of dopey. A banner day. That's a second sigh. Let's have one. It's a very banner day. You might be the most important. We've had some big guests on the show, Tom. Yeah. None yeah. of them have showed me their ass crack before. Nope. In I'll the- do that all day long, all day long. Well, his name with is Tom Arnold. Smile. With a smile. Smile and a crack, vertical yeah. and, and, and the horizontal. Uh, Whatever. Fucking Tom Arnold, 130 movies, TV writer, writer, philanthropist, comedian, single father, unlikely yeah. redneck Jew, Nicorette yeah. addict. Yeah. Welcome to Dopey. Look at that. Got a, well, that's a redneck Jew thing. I got a red, white, blue, Star David. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, yes. Thank you for having me. Are you kidding me? It's now, do I call, do I, I don't call ever. Is Dopey your nickname or is it, I, okay. No. Because that'd be an awesome, that's kind of a cool nickname. You know, like once after my, after Chris died, Bob mm-hmm. Forrest started calling me Dopey Dave. Uh, Bob Forrest. Bob Forrest. Let's talk about him for a second. What do you got? How great is he? No, I've spent significant time with Bob Forrest. He's, uh, what, what can you say? It's all, you know, he's uh, he's also kind of got that funny, you know, a guy that's it's like a guy that's been to war and, and then re-enlisted and then re-enlisted and re-enlisted. But uh, I find him... You know, I have a lot of respect for him, but he's also a character, man. Oh, my God. He, great he, characters. He's the greatest champion of Dopey in the history of Dopey champions. I met him. I met him. I'm a, I was a waiter at Katz's Deli for a million years in Manhattan, okay. and uh, and I'm getting French fries, and I see this big, tall, skinny guy with a hat, and I'm like, 
that looks like Bob Forrest. And I go and I serve some tables and I run back and it, it's Bob Forrest. And uh, he agreed to come on the show. And my partner had been treated by him in rehab. Oh, that's cool. Well, that's cool. Well, uh, I, I'm taller than Bob. I'm just going to put it out there. I am a taller. And when I put a hat on, I'm extremely tall. Even taller. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm six foot two. I have to tell people. Because people see me on TV, they're like, you're short and fat. No, I'm tall and fat. They, let's get it. Let's get it right, people. You're a mountain of a man. <laughs> but you look great. And uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. I am so, like, I feel pretty confident in talking to you. I watched, he, Tom, you just produced a documentary series. There's so many things to talk about with you. You are a, an ultimate dopey guest because like we have multiple relapses. We have multiple oh, yeah. substances. We have fame beyond the pale. And even if that wasn't enough, Tom's yeah. sister was this crazy meth manufacturer and Tom made a movie about her. It's on discovery. I subscribed to discovery just to watch oh, yeah. your movie. Well, that, you know, you get a seven day free subscription. I'm sure that's why you did Dave. No, I, my, I, I, I participated, uh, uh, happily in the documentary uh, Queen of Meth, which is about my little sister and uh, her experiences of being the queen of methamphetamine. And uh, and, and I think it took, takes a real honest look at, at, at what our life was like, what life was like for her, how she got into that, uh, you know, and uh, obviously she ended up in prison a couple times. And then uh, you also get to see my nephew, who, you know, the big, the victory to me is, is kids. And, and that means whether it's me being sober as a father uh, or what, me being sober as a, a, the child I used to be, that, that's such a big reward. And my sister and her husband, who died in prison, uh, Floyd, who was the president of the Grim Reaper Motorcycle Club, um, they left their son, who was uh, eight or nine behind. I mean, they went, my sister said, I'll be back because they, the DEA and the FBI and everybody just came down and they arrested 60 people in my hometown of Ottumwa, Iowa on the same day. And obviously my sister was the, the top of the pyramid and she said, I'll be back. And then she didn't come back for nine years. And, and then, uh, you know, and then of course she came back and then she went back to it. And, uh, but my nephew, uh, has never done drugs. You know, he, he doesn't drink. He's a, he's a large, a, he, you think I'm big. He's taller and wider. And, uh, yeah, but that's really the victory. He got married last summer and I took my uh, son to his wedding and I, uh, back in Des Moines. And I said, listen, this is what could happen. This kid here, he's never done drugs. He's never gotten in trouble. He stayed away from that. And that's a miracle because you know, my sister and I, especially because our mother, you know, uh, uh, g gave us alcohol and drugs and really gave my sister her first drugs. And then and then uh, then made her marry a pedophile rapist at 14. So until we we both decided to move in with our mother uh, uh, who did not raise us, I did it because I was 15 and I wanted to fucking party. And I knew there's no rules. I wanted to grow my hair down to my butt and party and have no rules. And I knew that. But I didn't go, oh, I want to live with my mom. I knew she wasn't. I mean, I knew 
I do. But my sister, unfortunately, and this is something I try to do with my kids. Uh, when there's a when there's a divorce, when there's a situation, um, you know, if, if one parent is is acting inappropriately, I think the old school thing is to take the high road. And my dad certainly did that. My mom would come over wasted and he'd laugh and he'd he'd chuckle. And I know he thought in his heart of hearts, that's the best thing to do. He never said a bad word about my mother. And but I but I also was aware for the time I was four, like she's not <laughs> I don't know what she does, but she's not a mother. And, you know, you know um, my sister, though, who was I was four, my sister was three. My brother was one when my mom left. My sister idolized her. And and that became that really uh, I mean, she, my sister had a great life until she was 14. She was a great student, athlete living with, uh, by then, my dad and, and my stepmother, uh, who uh, was our next-door neighbor, of course, in Iowa, with such rednecks. And, uh, um, but, but the moment she got with my mom, and I was living there. I'd moved it before Lori. Uh, they were like best friends. They were like, you know, some emotional incest shit going on. She gave Lori her, her drugs. She, and then she ends up making him marry this 23-year-old serial pedophile but when uh, I, in the movie when she meets the serial pedophile it almost sounds like it's like romantic at first like it's not like like it was her boyfriend and and that was how Lori told the story right in the movie yeah. that's how Lori tells stories right you know she's uh you know i love her uh unconditionally but she has a oh well you know and it came along it's been a long time for her to come to terms with what kind of a mother she had. And my thing is, you know, in the, in the, the series there is three episodes. You can watch it all at once, but you know, I uh, was mad at my mom for not for leaving, but I was mad at her for, because that was the best thing she could do, you know, that to, to go, Hey, listen, I'm an alcoholic. I'm an addict. Dad isn't, and he is solid. And I'm going to, I'm going to leave these kids with him. That was the greatest gift she could ever give me. You know, and my dad was 22, by the way. He's 22. You know, I'm four, my sister's three, my brother's one. And I think about that a lot as an older father about how, wow, you know, I think things like, wow, you know, when I got arrested, I got arrested a lot more than my sister. Her, it's just that her were worse, were much worse. Bigger. Yeah. And, you know, I get in fights with cops and arrested. This one, I was. 14 years old this is it's just a different place where i grew up and uh, you know i'd always say people say well how does that make your dad feel he had to bail me out of jail naked once i said oh he doesn't care but the second i had kids i i realized oh he cared of course well for, i got so much, i got oh. i got a million questions i got a million questions but how did you wind up in jail naked first well i was working at the meat packing plant uh, at the, on the kill floor of the hormel meat packing plant out of high school to save money for college, you know? And, uh, and, and I was also, I also had started going to community college, which, which is a lifesaver. And uh, I would work nights and then go to school all day. And I, I was, that was the best I ever did in college all the way through. And, uh, and then one day I kept feeling I'm missing out on the college experience. All my friends had left Tomo, Iowa and went to Iowa City to the University of Iowa, which was my goal. And I just thought I'm missing the college experience. You know how we're always, there's always something missing. 
And so I called in sick to work and then we had a, a college party. Now it was a community college party. So it got over about uh, eight and the average Asian person there was like 64. And so I was like, yeah, that doesn't do it. You know, I got took a night off work. Let, let, we got to do some college shit. And so streaking used to be a, a thing. And it, in, it was a thing in America in like 1972. It got to Iowa in 1980-something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so I said, uh, let's go uh, run naked through Mr. Quick's. That's our fast food place. And, and we did, but there wasn't anybody there. Like, we shipped them on tables, <laughs> me and Mike Boat. And I said, well, that's it. We went to the diner. There's no one in a small town. And then I said, wait a minute. On the way back to the dorm, I said, I got the place. Jefferson Square Manor. You know, the old folks home. Okay. Because I know people are there. And I don't mean the oldies. I mean the nurses. Yes. Who were our friends. And boy, won't they. Be happy to see us, right? Kids. Yes. And it turns out they didn't appreciate it. And, and the cops had already been called from our last place. So when we came busted out of there, they were waiting for us. And my buddy, we're all big, big guys. The three of us were jumped in the back of the car to put our, you know, shorts on and naked. We're rubbing asses and everything. I said, I'm going to get out of the car. We're busted. I'm going to get out of the car and put my, my underwear on like a human being. And the moment I got out of the car, they handcuffed me behind my back. And this is in a Tumble, Iowa. It was December. It was just, it was like not a time to be naked, period. Frigid. And so I got taken to jail. And uh, and uh, my dad, who was a pillar of the community, I mean, everybody loved Jack Arnold. He really was. He did the, the rotary, the chamber covers, the cancer. Uh, so he did everything. And people really respected him and, and, uh, and my grandparents. And so he had to come down to jail again uh, 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 to get me. And, uh, you know, he just couldn't ever quite figure it out what my deal was. What was wrong you know, with he, you? He, uh, were were you fucked up that night? Were you drunk? Were you oh, high? What were you on? I was fucking drinking. But we, you know, I drank from the time I was 12. And, and we're very, very, very drunk. And, uh, but not drunk enough, as it turns out. But so he comes down the next day and he says, you know, Sheriff Irwin, Tommy, he said that you, uh, you and Mike and Mo ran naked through the, the old folks' home, and that's depraved behavior. You know, I knew you're crazy, but yeah, I didn't think you'd do anything like that. And I said, Dad, the Sheriff Irwin is full of shit. <laughs> that fucking guy. No, I, I would not do that to our family name. And then he's like, well, I didn't think so. And then I'm like, can you give me my clothes? <laughs> the, the cops were so happy to have me. Uh, they put me in, in the cell and the drug tank naked. Right. Because it's a small town thing. And then you have to fight somebody because you're fucking, naked you know, they, they're like, why are you naked? Well, fuck you. You know, like, and then, so it was rough. But, and then I lost my job at, at the meatpacking plant the next day because if you, um, if you call in sick to work at a, in a small town and then get arrested for public nudity, it's going to be on the front page of the paper. And then they're going to fire you at Hormel. So it was kind of a, it was very devastating because I was paying my way through college. And I thought, how am I going to survive? How do I do this? And then I came up with a thing. And this is my, a part of my ego, which is not the worst thing in the world sometimes to keep you motivated. I had no money. And I thought, well, I'm not going to get my dreams. And then I came up with an idea. I said, what if I, I walk 
uh, 20 miles in my underwear in the middle of winter and people can take pledges. And so I walked 21 miles from Albia, Iowa to a mile in my underwear. So it's like, a, it's like an underwear walkathon. Yeah. And, and, uh, I got enough money to go in to cut, to finish college. I mean, people, uh, in my hometown, man, there in my Southeast Iowa and wherever were very supportive. And we had a, a couple of vans that had like, you know, on NASCAR have all the sponsors on the sides and, and my buddies were in the lead van, uh, as we're walking, it became a hell of a deal that walk. And, and, uh, you know, they were drinking, throwing their beer cans at me. And, and I remember my grandma came out, we were on highway 34 and I saw her car pull up. My grandma, whatever my mom was, my that more than made up for by my grandma's and my grandma, Dottie, I see her car pull up and I'm being filmed and everything. This is a, this is the first time I was in the National Enquirer or the New York Times about this college student, this nice college student who was trying to pay his own way to college. And I see my grandma's car pull up. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. And she gets out. She's got a full length, make very fancy, high heels. And, you know, I'm walking on the side of the road, the gravel. And I see her. And I'm like, oh, no. Dottie, no, please, I beg you, don't do this. And then she comes up and walks with me and lets people film it. I'm so proud of Tommy, like, kissing me. And I was like, I, I'm dead. I, I wish I were. Because my hope was, well, maybe I'll get the girls at the college will like me more. But then my fucking grandmother, and she came up and I was like, afraid she was going to fall. And But that's just how. That's love. Know, it is unconditional love, man. That, that woman. And I. I think about that a lot, you know, uh, so I, I certainly didn't miss out on, on that in my life. I feel like from that story, like that's when I would know if I was you, that you were destined for great things. I mean, that's a serious moment, like that you're willing to take that kind of chance and it worked. Like I, I wouldn't imagine that people would pay you to do it and it's a spectacle and you're the star and your grandma is right there with you. I yeah. think, yeah. well, you know, uh, I never did drugs till I got out of high school because where I grew up, you either drank or you did drugs. You were either a redneck or you were a greaser. And, you know, our football coach, would, who just – he was also our gym coach in high school. He would just throw six balls out in the middle of us. He'd divide us up, rednecks, greasers, and then just go at it with, you know, a bombardment, he called it. But it's dodgeball. Just brutal. But I thought to myself, I'm better than those people because those people, uh, you know, they do drugs. They smoke pot. They do those things. I just get very drunk almost every night. We do that. And, uh, and, and you know, soon after high school, I, I realized, you know, I started trying different drugs and, and liking them, quite frankly. And then I spent years trying to figure out the right blend, how much cocaine with, with how much alcohol and you know, I, I was just, I was always an addict and, uh, and, and I was always looking for some other feeling than the one I had. And, uh, and I certainly found that with, uh, drugs and alcohol. Now, when, when did you realize that you resented your mother? Because in the movie you're fucking screaming at your sister at what a horrible mother she was. And at 15, you're moving in with her so you can party. When does your own resentment sort of arrive in you? Well, I think everybody deep down wishes, you know, and, and the fact that I hadn't had a mother made me romanticize what that would be like, you know, uh, you know, kids at school, their mothers uh, baked cookies and came to school. I was in love, by the way, 
my first crushes were always mothers. And uh, I think you romanticize what that would have been like. Um, my mother, I felt like when she died, uh, I really needed, I didn't go to her funeral. Uh, we were having, she'd just done a story in the National Choir that I was a bad Jew. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's who she was. And, and uh, you know, her, her seventh husband, who was the chief of police in our, our town, who I did not like, he did not like me. He liked my sister, ironically, because she the, the cops worked for her. But, um, you know, after she died, I mean, he was engaged by the time she died. I mean, she went in the hospital for a little while. He was already engaged and moving on. So what I did was I worked with my therapist and so my sober friends and and i wrote a note that i went in the day after i went to where she was buried and i read that to her you know the things i was mad about over here and the things i was grateful for over here which i highly recommend people do because it's shocking what you're grateful for and i was grateful i was mad about this and that but i was grateful that she did give us to our dad and they, they'd gone to court and back then the, the father never won and uh and the day after he I was supposed to go on the stand and basically say, who do you love more, your dad or your mom? And my dad said, I can't do that. And he, he, he gave up. And the next day, my mom came out to his office and said, here's the keys to the house. They're with a babysitter. They're yours. And really, that couldn't have been an easy thing to do. I just know as a parent. But I was grateful about that. So I thanked her. And then uh, her husband, <laughs> like I said, was already engaged. I ended up bill back and forth and had to pay him off to get her remains because you know they have it in our cemetery they have the you know you and your husband they assume people are going to be married forever which is also insane and so uh I, I got i paid him some money and went back in court and moved her remains back to the cemetery as you see in the movie with her parents and you know she's been married seven times but i gave her back her maiden name because I just thought of her as a kid. And, and uh, so I was great. So that was it for me. I'd made peace. In fact, I came home and, and uh, I was writing the Roseanne show at the time and, and Roseanne's father on the show uh, died. And I had, I took the letter that I'd written to my mother and put that in the script for Roseanne to read at her father's casket. And she won an Emmy for that. You know, she made it, she doodled with it to make it her own. But but that was uh, that was satisfying as a as a artist, I guess, too, because it was so real. And, you know, everything that's, you know, was was real on that show was real or in whatever you do. And that that meant a lot to me. My sister, though, I never forgave her for what she did to my sister. And, you know, you I mean, that was so fucking crazy. I was there. I came home and and and, and I, you know, my so I asked my stepdad, where's, where's Lori and mom? Oh, they're on the way to Missouri so she could get married to Bob. I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me. And so, you know, I, I called my dad. We tried to figure out what highway they were on to stop them. And then they came home that night. My mom came home, just hammered, all sad. She was a sad sack, but she got hammered. And she was like crying. And I said, where's Lori? And she goes, well, she, she lives with Bob now. And it was that was so fucked up, you know. Um, and in the movie, you talk about how that was basically the end of your sister's childhood, where you had a childhood and you had an adolescence and all that. When was the first time you you took a drug? What was the situation? 
Well, the first time I got drunk, I was I was probably 10, got seriously drunk. You know, I, we lived next to the football field and we go over there. And there was there was a, a parent in the neighborhood that would get us beer. I mean, and but he also he was this classic drunk where he also talked about him racing in the Indianapolis 500, which, of course, when you're 10, you believe this fucking maniac. But the first time I got very drunk, I, I thought, yeah, this is it. I like this. This feeling, you know, I'm going to I'm going to do this a lot. And people, you know, not necessarily 10, but, you know, people 12, 13 might, you know, you could get into the bars if you were 14 or 15. So that became my life, you know, and uh, and, and that affected uh, everything, you know, affected me with with athletically and and with school and with my uh, relationships because you only hang out with people that do what you do, which is get very drunk and fight. And, uh, and so, and cause public disturbances. Now, when I got out of high school, uh, my friends, uh, some of my friends had been big pot smokers and I just didn't want to, I didn't want to deviate from just being, I had some kind of weird self-esteem that I was just an alcoholic, which is crazy. But then I tried that and that didn't work. And then I, I tried speed and that did work. And, you know, working at the meatpacking plant, let me tell you, there's a lot of fuckers on drugs. Because <laughs> you, you're working 14-hour days, and, you know, you're slaughtering 6,000 hogs a day in, in, on the kill floor. And it's a it's a job that, that uh, you know, you, you should talk to someone about. Um, but I did that, did that, and then I started comedy at, at the University of Iowa, and I, I went up to Minneapolis and somebody said, one of the bookers, here's some cocaine. And they handed me a bindle. And I, I say, say, go in the bathroom and snort this. And I came back and did. And they said, okay, where's the, no. I said, well, I did it all, of course. I, oh no, I'll buy some more. <laughs> Don't worry. And really for, you know, six, five or six years, that just escalated, uh, escalated, escalated until I, until I was uh, realized, well, I'm going to be dead, and uh, and but I didn't realize it like day one, or I realized it after after I'd been in the hospital, after I'd been in Van Nuys Psych, after I had a nosebleed that just went. All these things happened. I got all this advice. I started going in 1986. I went to my first 12-step meeting, and and I'd been uh, uh, I stayed off drugs and alcohol for six months. And I loved the, the meetings because I loved the people. Uh, and then at six months, I celebrated by doing cocaine, of course. And so I, I, I was in and out and in and out. But but I've never been away from 12-step meetings. And and these are this is what has 100% saved my life. Me too. You know? Me too. So, yeah. And sometimes I go to them fucked up. And, and, uh, but I kept, I just kept going. And, uh, and really it's, it's, uh, saved my life. Me too. It totally saved my life. Um, when you're, when you find that you like drugs and your sister is this crazy drug dealer, when did those two things start, started to click together? Uh, immediately. You know, she, she always ran with a, the, the bikers, a different crowd, you know, and who they considered me and my friends to be preppies, which is crazy. <laughs> but there was a lot of tension between, my sister, obviously her first husband, I fucking hated and eventually went over there, you know, and, 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 you know, physically took her out of there. 
Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that happen that you just don't think, well, that, you know, a 15 year old, a 14 year old, they're kids. And no, but we had to live like fucking adults. And it's just, you know, that, that makes me, I, I really pay attention to that to, with my kids. But having a sister that was a huge drug dealer that could get any drug <laughs> and you get it for free, not the worst thing when you're young and your buddies. And, and uh, so she would come over at Thanksgiving. By that, by then, I was the oldest of seven kids because my dad, when I was 10, married our next door neighbor. She had two. They had two more together. And as soon as she'd walk in, uh, she'd have that big fucking purse of hers. We'd all stand up and go out to the garage together, all of us, and stand in a circle. And she'd say, what do you want? I said, what do you got? She'd say, everything. But like, what would she have? Like, what would be in the oh, bag? Oh, cocaine. Uh, and it was always because she was dealing with the, the Mexican cartel. It was always the good stuff. And, she, you know, she'd have everything. Well, obviously, she ended up manufacturing methamphetamine, which I which I sincerely tried to like. Uh, but but, you know, she had all what was your drugs. what was your problem with meth? Well, I mean, it's a drug and uh, I just never quite I think I always felt like, well, this is like cocaine, except without the euphoria. Right. Uh, but I tell you, a lot of people did. And if you were fucking wasted, there was a way to get straight in my my mind. And uh, I just but I know I did it. I said I had a problem with it. I did it anyway, you know, especially when I couldn't uh, get find cocaine. But, you know, a lot of people <laughs> to this day, as you know, they like it. And she prided herself. And you hear this in there about making clean methamphetamine and how it being safe. And and, uh, you know. I realized that because I had been arrested for seven times for my things, including, unfortunately, three drunk drivings uh, out of the 150 times I drove drunk. Um, but the fighting with police, the interfering with official acts. And, and in our town, there was the police and then there was the, the, the sheriff who had all the deputies. They're two different. And the fucking deputies were hired just on physical fucking, uh, you know, they're ready to go. And uh, I, I have a funny story, you know, and everybody's drinking and everybody, but uh, there was a big deputy, about six foot four or five, Bruce Allen, great big fucking redneck. This guy and I went at it a few times. He came into McDonald's one night and I was drinking. I was at the, at the counter and he was like, get the fuck out of here. And so, you know, you don't drink and have a beer at McDonald's. It's ridiculous. So I, I went and I, I went around the outside and, and uh, he sat down at a table. I went up to the window and knocked on him like, fuck you. <laughs> now, what I should have done was leave, but I had to piss. So there was a, a bathroom in the back connected to McDonald's. So I went in there. My friends watched this whole fucking thing happen, in which they watched a lot of things happen. But he came out of the McDonald's. He threw his hat on his fucking car and came into the bathroom. And I was peeing. And he fucking hit me as hard as he could in the back of the head. And then we came rolling out of there. You know, my pants are undone. Fighting. And you don't win those fights, I'll tell you. Um, in fact, I think it was this night. He, he rested me a few times. But I was on the way home or on the way to jail. And I was in the back seat. And I fucking went, yeah, I'm handcuffed behind my back. But I got my legs work. And I booted him 
as hard as he could. He's driving the car. <laughs> and I, again, and you realize, and then he fucking pulls the car over. Oh, no. Like, fuck, I am handcuffed behind my back. Gets in the back seat, just starts. And then, but I was beaten up so bad that he didn't take me to jail, which I appreciated. He just took me to my dad's and dumped me in the front yard. And and I have to say this, too, in, in his defense. And the, the, I can't imagine dealing with addicts and alcoholics who are fucking abusive. And and uh, uh, the week after this happened, the University of Iowa played a football game in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, at the old, uh, was it the Fulton County Stadium? We played uh, University of Tennessee in the Peach Bowl. I am a huge Iowa Hawkeye fan. Every, people are where I'm from. I got to my seat at this fucking stadium in Atlanta, and that motherfucker was <laughs> next to me. He fucking big out. And... You know, but we were there. It was like the 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 Roadrunner and the Coyote. We were off the books, and we were fucking high fiving for the team. And you know, there was no. It wasn't like, yeah, I'm going to fight him here. It was like, oh no, we're we're part of the same team. Now we're now we know who now we know who we are. Now let me say this: I'm I'm a Jewish person, right? I grew up in New York City. I work at this ridiculous Jewish deli. Whatever. I've never fought. I'm fearful of Grim Reaper motorcycle gangs, and I've never fought with cops. And like, this is not the resume of a normal, nice Jewish boy. Describe that. I mean, like, of course, I'm a heroin addict, too. And I've done my share of shit. Tell me, like, I know my father is going to be listening to this podcast. He's like, how is Tom Arnold Jewish? I don't understand. Can you can you help me with that? Well, you're the toughest Jew in the world, by the way. Yeah. Well, that you know, there are a lot of tough Jews where I come from. I'm going to tell you, there. And I always, we'd always say, there, there, there's just not enough Jews to hate. We, let's just keep it. You know, <laughs> the, the, the the high holy days uh, were in the back of Arnie Siegel's Western wear. I'm not shitting you at all. And then they'd have a rabbi come down from Des Moines. But my mother, uh, that it's the most Jewish you can be. My mother is Jewish, and my grandfather uh, worked at the meatpacking plant too. You know, I worked at a pork processing plant. It's just what you did. You worked in the the garment business. It's the same thing. Everybody came over from Eastern Europe, and it just so happened that two Cohen sisters came to to Eastern Iowa. You know, uh, uh, been my great grandmas. My my grandfather was a meat inspector, also in Queens. Oh yeah, yeah. So well, do we do make we do make great meat? Yeah. That, Um, but you just kind of did. You know, there was a sort of a secret society, you know, in my town where, you know, you just, you know, my, my grandpa went to work for Eli Rosemond and they all kind of, you know, um, it just wasn't people weren't, you know, they didn't have any star David belt buckles or any shit like that. But but they they, they looked out for each other. And, um, you know, I think that that's, uh, you know, that's important. In fact, after uh, my grandmother passed away somebody brought me a book and it was a book the history of of us the cohen the jews that lived there and it was very significant and it meant a lot to me because at the time you know i was married to roseanne and my stepson was 12 and he was starting to study for his uh bar mitzvah and what i ended up doing was studying with him i think that's where people think i converted but I just wanted to refresh my memory. And, and uh, you know, I was also like the woman, my cousin from Two Doors Down brought me this secret book. 
And, and that that's very funny to me, too. But I think, you know, in a town like that, you know, you're, there is anti-Semitism. There's obviously racism uh, and, and xenophobia. And, you know, I, I always thought they're just, you know, anytime someone came like a foreign exchange student, you know, the, the people of my generation just worshiped them. They, no matter where they're from, they had to be from they had to be better than us. Because they were different. It was they like, oh, my God, they, someone who's not like the rest of them kind of thing. Exactly. Right. And, and exactly. And uh, uh, even the, the, a kid yeah, came from Israel and, and even the Jews were like, oh, my God, he's my. <laughs> he's the real he's the real thing. <laughs> but um, but, you know, it was, uh, uh, you know, and I, I've known kids that have grown up that the uh, black kids that I'm friends with and their families. And, you know, it was pretty divided, too. It was either is divided between people that fucking hated the redneck white trash racist or the white trash redneck racist. What I learned, and we were obviously part of the hater. I mean, it was a physical thing, but what I learned later in life is there's other kinds. And I learned this at Iowa city at the university of Iowa. There's kinds of racism. I hadn't even considered, you know, I just considered, Oh, the fucking, the Klansmen in the family, those guys are racist. Like they're the worst of the worst. And they're so stupid. They're so fucking stupid. You know, they're just idiots. And, and you just, you're embarrassed about that, that they're from your town and you fuck them. You hate them for being idiots. And, you know, you're willing to do whatever it takes. But then as you get a little older, you realize, oh, there's all kinds of. You, uh, you don't uh, hate them. You don't hate them for being idiots. You hate them for being pieces of shit. You, you feel sorry for them for being idiots, right? But they're such trash. Oh, yeah. You hate them also for that. Okay. Especially when you're younger, you're like, yeah, fuck you them. Know, I get it. And you make that very known. Uh, but it is different. I mean, every time you have something different, like being a, a Jew from, you know, that works in a pork processing plant or whatever it takes, um, you know, anytime because I'm an addict, an alcoholic, anything that makes me feel like the other, uh, you know, is something that you kind of uh, glom onto because of the terminal uniqueness of being Tom Arnold. Um, so eventually you realize, oh, I can't get away with that because there are fucking millions of people that are exactly like me. Right. That get whatever I've done or whatever I think. Oh, no, they're like, yeah, I've done that too. And I've, I've thought that too. And and uh, that's the part of the the great thing about sobriety is, is also the rigorous honesty that in all in all uh, uh, areas of your life, you know, people are like, well, I just want to not drink or use drugs, which is fucking great. And some people, as you know, they, they, they get drunk once in high school and then that's it. Sure. Or they get arrested one time and that's it. Whereas uh, people like me, and me, it takes a long, it takes a lot. My journey has been in and out. And, uh, and long periods of sobriety. Let me ask and, you this, though. Let me ask you, and I hate to cut you off. I just know that you're going to run out of time, and I'm not going to get to all of the nooks and crannies of your existence. Yeah, ask me um, I want to know, when did you know that you, I mean, like, obviously cocaine was your first real substance after alcohol. When did you know that you were a total drug addict? Well, there were a couple times in the back of squad cars where I'm like, I have fucked up my life. I have fucked up my life. And I just, you know, I prayed and I, I, you know, I didn't grow up obviously religious, 
But I did always have the feeling that there was something else out there for me. And, and uh, uh, you know, I, if I could just hold on, if I could just get it together, you call that God, I'm going to call that God, that there was something better. And I, when I moved to L.A. in 1988 to write The Roseanne Show, Roseanne and I, who we, we met in 1983, and, you know, I was 23 and, uh, and she was 30, and then... We met, it is before she was famous, She's she was a very good comedian from Denver and came and I opened up for her in Minneapolis and we hit it off. And the first night we met, we went out partying all night. We stole the MC's car. We And, and, and really our relationship for years was, besides me writing jokes for her for TV, but we'd get together on the road and fucking just do it up. So when I moved to LA, I came out there with my fiance uh, from Minneapolis, because I, you know, you know, <laughs> and, 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 and pretty soon Roseanne uh, said, hey, you are you do you get fucked up uh, all the time? Do you do cocaine and, and drink? And I was like, yeah. She goes, well, that's bad. I go, is it? And she goes, no, you can't. I said, because I thought that's what we always did. We were together. I thought I could be honest with you about this. And also, as soon as I moved to L.A., the first day. I went to a bar and met a huge drug dealer who and I kept thinking, well, now I have a job writing on television, which is a lot of money, what much more money I've ever made. And I met a drug dealer who could sell me a quarter pound of Coke, which is a much better deal. I don't know if that's the Jew in me. I've got to buy it by quantity. Of course. I'm really doing myself a disservice. Yes. And it, it was helpful in a way that I had so much, so much cocaine. And, uh, and, and once I realized I had to hide it from my best friend, you know, um, uh, then it got into uh, the thing, you know, then, then you know, it just, I, I descended quickly. And then in, in 1989, Roseanne and I become a couple. And, and we're getting ready to get married um, uh, at the uh, beginning of uh, 1990, like in January. And I came home one night and I couldn't get in the gate. And I couldn't remember the code. I was all fucked up. And I was having to drive around Benedict Canyon there, Beverly Hills. And there was no cell service. And finally, I got a hold of her. And and by the way, the, the code was my birthday. Perfect. <laughs> I got a hold of her. And then I, I, I said, I can't get in. I came back down from Mulholland. And uh, I, I parked there. And I saw her car driving down. We had a big, long driveway. And I was like, I know what's going to fucking happen. She's going to get out of the car. She's going to punch me in the face. It's going to be like always, and, you know, I I deserve that. But anyway, she gets out of the car in the middle of the street. It comes over, and I'm ready to take a, a blow, and she hugs me. And uh, and it was, uh, it's it, it it just, you know, uh, it broke through all the bullshit. You know, I could feel that. You know, it's that moment of clarity. And so she said, I just want you to come home. And, uh, and. So I, I, I came back in and, uh, of course, when she went to sleep, I came back and did the rest of my blow. But I realized, uh, no, I've got to, because I also had stepkids. So I, I, I got myself in a cab and went to rehab. And my kids went too, <laughs> which is the funny part. But I, I just knew I had to do this. This was, yeah. Now, when I got there, you know, I, my, my brain is, you know, uh, working overtime and, and, and what my job on day one was to walk down to the pharmacy to get the newspapers. And I saw 
in the papers, this is the first week there, that, that I was getting a divorce. It was all over the tabloids, cocaine, Tom Arnold, divorce, fired. And, and I, I, you know, I saw it on the news. I saw, and so I went back up and, uh, and I, I really thought about it. And somebody said, you know, because uh, I thought, well, if I could just convince her that I was sober or people, I wanted to convince people, strangers. And, 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 so you and, could keep getting away with it, basically. Yeah. And my uh, my counselor, who I still know, I just saw him at a meeting. This is so long ago. Um, he said, well, what about doing it for you? What do you deserve? What do you deserve? I really had never thought about that. And so he said, what is the little, the Tommy, the kid you are? And so I took a picture of myself when I was four. I had a picture and I carried it with me everywhere because I did not like this guy. And I still have issues with that sometimes, but I loved the, my four-year-olds. I loved that kid and he deserved to be sober. He deserved to have a good life. And, and I, and nobody was watching out for him, you know, uh, uh really. And, and, uh, and I said, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. I convinced myself. And on my eighth day in that rehab, and it wasn't my first, but my eighth day, I called up Roseanne and said, listen, I love you. I appreciate you. Uh, and I understand why we're not getting married. I understand why the, the, the job thing, but you know what? I'm going to stay here. I really am going to do it for myself. And, and she immediately said, Oh, we're getting married. And I said, and I, I realized if I'd known I could have manipulated her that easily, <clears throat> I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have sat on what would it feel like for me? to be sober. Do I deserve that? And, uh, um, but I'm grateful that I sat on that. Cause I think about that moment a lot. You know, I, I, I have little kids and, and my sobriety is life or death. And, uh, but it has to be about me. Obviously you can't be a quality parent if you're fucked up, if you're not present for these kids all, all the time. But for me, and you know, I've gone back to that, you know, a few times. I stayed, I was I stayed sober nineteen years based on that. Yeah, uh, I, I, have, uh, I have another question before you move past this because this is an important moment for me in your life. So bear with me here, because like I know I got sober basically so I could be a better parent, but I fucked up a million times, like a million times along the way. And I, and, and the consequences of my using were like ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like I didn't work. I, I couldn't live anywhere. I couldn't see my kid for a while. Like what it sounds like to me, the first time you got sober that you had the psychic change without like crazy rock bottom. Well, I was starting a half ounce of cocaine a day. Okay. Here we go. Was having, you know, when you don't sleep, it, it, let's say you don't sleep and you're not on drugs. You don't sleep for five days. You're going to get fucking weird. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of fear, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, it, I, I don't know. Uh, it, it helped that, that, you know, I'd been arrested before I'd had these other things. I'd lost things, but really to, for, for, to Roseanne's credit for me to lose my job, my fiance, my stepkids in one day, and, um, you know, I'd always been, uh, I wasn't as close to my family. I wasn't, you know, once, especially once I started be, you know, being such a, a drug addict and it really felt alone. 
And, and uh, that was definitely a bottom, a big bottom. And I really worked at it. And I got in with great people who I'm still, you know, I started a, a meeting at my house uh, in, in 1990 that's still going on. And, uh, um, but, but I, I got careless, you know, at later in life, you know, I've been married, divorced four times and, and I don't know, and, and I finally had kids at 54, but I got careless. I, I, I started telling people that I sponsored who were heroin addicts and, uh, opioid addicts. Yeah. I never, I am a cocaine and alcohol addict. And then, I wrecked my motorcycle on PCH and broke my back. And like that, I mean, they, the ambulance came. Uh, they said, are you in pain? I broke my scapula, which is lucky. They, I said, yeah. They said, we'll take care of that. They gave me a shot of fentanyl. Mm. And I was like, oh, it's fucking on. Yeah. Oh, no. That's what I'm looking for. And, you know, I, I, I was about to take a 20-year cake in 2009, and, and I realized – Oh, I'm still on the pain medication for 2008. What were you on? Uh, well, you know, I started taking uh, the Vicodin, whatever pain medication I could get long after my back healed. Um, and a lot of it. In fact, I was in China, at the, in Shanghai for uh, my anniversary uh, working. And I, you know, I was able to go to the American clinic. I mean, you, I, by then it was pills, 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 pills. And, you know, which is so insidious. And, I realize I'm taking this cake. I'm going to take the cake. I have to say, I, I thought, cause it's 20 years, but I'm not sober. And then right after that, I called my sponsor and some other guys said, I've, I've got to start over in that period, Wait. in that period where you're taking pills and going to meetings and kind of like, you know, working a program, but also yeah. getting high. Were you feeling guilty? Like when you're like, were you, did you get pills anywhere besides your doctor? Like when did it hit you? And also why are there no cakes in New York AA? Why is it all just fucking coins? And there's no cake. There's no cake here. I, I'm going to say that by, by looking at me, cake is not the best idea. But, you know, Jews, us Jews are big on feeding yes. people, I have to say. Yes. But we, I take cakes. I had one just. I uh, want a cake. My anniversary is coming up and they're not going to give me a fucking yeah. cake. Well, bring your own cake. Thank you. Why don't you do that? Thank you. But, but yeah. But um, I think that, uh, you know, I mean the the pill thing a whole nother world of manipulating doctors and and eventually you know when you're me and you go do a movie you got somebody with you or that you know that is your person and and or a tv show if you're in you'll say here's what i'd really like they're like oh we'll get <laughs> we can erase that and why don't you try this this is morphine and then why don't you try this and so uh, and then my you by the amount I used, I was not a social uh, illegal drug user. So a, a social opiate, uh, opiate user. But I did go. I lied to myself enough to go. Oh, I got a broken fucking bone on my back, and then keep going. And well, and it became a certain point. Well, I got it. I can't just stop this. I'm gonna have to wear it down. And what ended up happening is uh, 2010, as I was stepping down with with help, I went into a coma. Uh, something burst inside of me. Oh my God. And it was a genetic thing, but I didn't know my mom's genetics. And so I woke up three and a half hours later and it would not have happened. It was part genetic part because of my drug use. I wasn't feeling, I couldn't feel things. And I woke up three and a half weeks later and you know, my, my ex-wife was there and she said, I, 
I, it, you know, I want to show you a mirror of what your body looks like now. And I lost a lot of weight. That was the one good thing. But she's kind of going down and there's a huge opening right here where they had to emergency come in, but it's, it's a wound. I had to have a wound vac for a year, which is what you have if you in the war and you get some blasted. Um, and I was like, okay, okay. It's just, you know, you can see the inside of your body. It's a weird feeling, but I said, okay, I can deal with that. And then she said one more thing. And I had a fucking uh, a colostomy. And I'm like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Yeah, that's, I can't live with that. And, uh, and as it turned out, I was lucky that in 90 days they would, would take it down. That's what they call it. Um, but it was very depressing. As soon as I got out of the hospital, I went right down to Betty Ford. And, uh, you know, I was in the medical uh, part of it. But, you know, because somebody had to come and deep, deep breed me every day, cut the fucking stuff off me. But, it, you know, uh, it, it, any experience I've had with rehabs or uh, anything uh, has, has, has I've, it's helped me be better. I, I, um, I've learned things I've, and I continue to learn things. But, you know, it took a while. Then I had to have seven surgeries. You know, and if you have surgery, you can't be on Suboxone. You can't be on. Did they have you? Did they have you on Suboxone beforehand? I did. I did. You know, and uh, uh, and then they had to take me off of it so that I could could uh, you know get knocked out. And and these surgeries were quite uh, extensive. Um, I survived. You know, clearly, I I survived. And then, uh, and I will. The last thing I want to say is, if you're out of time. You know, when I was uh, young, and I've talked about this a lot, and I think sexual abuse, you know, comes. I mean, we hold on before uh, we before we get to sexual abuse. Yeah. I want to. Do you have to go in a second, or can we go oh, a couple oh, more? I no, I don't need did. to go. Are you kidding me? This is oh. the, the greatest thing I've ever oh. done right here. I got my Nicorette. I'm good. all good. Good. As long as you're enjoying your Nicorette, like, dude, I, I feel good. I have more questions about this relapse, real quick. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. you had all the time. You know, you got into the motorcycle accident. You fucking are taking pills as prescribed and it just lingers. And then you're like, I'm fucked. Is there shame around you in the program? Like, are you this big fucking bigwig in, in, yeah. in AA in LA, right? Yeah. Well, that's what happens. You know, we get a, a, a length of sobriety. We're hosting meetings. We're sponsoring people. And our self-esteem gets tied to that. And, and, and we take our eye off the ball. You know, because you can't imagine starting back at day one and me being one of those fucking assholes. But that's exactly who I became. And, and which is the bravest thing you could do, really, to go into a room of people that you believe have respected you solely because of your time. Right. And start over. Uh, but what I have learned is that this is part, re- relapse is part of sobriety and, and it, knock on wood, you survive it to get back up there and, and go into the fight a different way, a better way. Taking what you've learned, you know, takes a lot of fucking courage, man. Absolutely. And, and so many people that, I mean, we're drug addicts. It's more yeah. likely that we use than we don't use so that right. if you misstep and you're listening, you can just go back and yeah. everyone knows the deal, right? Yeah. Yeah. You really can. And and, uh, and you should, I got to say. But, you know, I think we scare people when we talk about, you know, one day at a time. Like, well, people say, well, are you going to be sober for ever? I, go, I don't know that. Right. It, it's the greatest thing because it takes all the fucking pressure off. And you really do. 
And sometimes, as you know, it's one second at a time or one thing. And things will come up. Life has twists and turns, and things will all of a sudden be in your face. But you, but but if you do it and you build up support system and you build up your armor to protect yourself, because it is trying to kill you every day. Right. It's in your head. It does get better, though. You know, and, and it really does get better. It gets better to the point that you just aren't thinking about it all day. You know, and, and, and it does get better. And then one day you go, it, I feel better. I don't know. Because of the time and doing the work. The work. But, yeah, you know, don't. But I mean, people every the people I respect the most have uh, have either gotten sober because they were in prison or uh, or the last time they drank, they killed somebody um, or they relapsed. And they've been honest about it. I mean, there's nothing you see. You go into a meeting and there's a guy there with a, a lot of time that says, hey, I, this is my first week. I, You know, it takes your breath away, but you just love that person so much and respect them so much. And you say that I am him. Absolutely. That is me. And, uh, and you know, you don't, if you're working a good a program yourself, you don't look down on that. You're, you're for the grace of God. You're like, but you have so much respect. Um, because a lot of people, as we know, we've, I've seen several 20 year fucking people go out and die, you know? And then I always think, well, I can also get pancreatic cancer, which I've seen guys with 25 years and then it's fucking over that way. So there's no thing, you know, and I know when people are doing the program, they're like, fuck, I'm not having fun. How long is this go on? Like, oh, I'm going to live so long that, you know, and we know that it's, that can be taken away a million ways. Of course. So, you know, let me ask, let me ask you one more thing. I have another question because you, you strike me as, you know, very funny, very sweet, very down to earth. Somebody who's done a lot of crazy shit from where you're from, you know, with your sister and the drugs and all this, and you're so vested in 12 step stuff. Was it natural to like, get to like, the next right thing and like there for the grace of God go I and all of the AA isms. Did it come naturally to you or did it, or did it win you over for me? I hated it for a long time. And all yeah. of a sudden I find myself saying that stuff. Yeah. Well, I think that, I mean, I am there. Uh, I mean, because, but for the grace of God, like we have today, all of us, people that are not, it's fucking, this is it. better. You know, find some joy today, you know, find a, you know, connect, you know, I, I think that I was with such a great group of people in the, from the eighties that helped me and stuck with that group. And, and uh, you know, the people that worked with uh, 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 you know, Aerosmith and all of us, you know, we, we just had such great uh, leaders and people that really knew and we admired them and, and, uh, and did what they said to do. And, you know, that's, uh, that foothold. And then I thought, I want to be like them. No, I, before it was like, I want to be the fucking crazy actor that fucking parties and does women. And I was like, Oh no, I want what they've got. And it does stick with you because people, you know, and I, I say this about Robin Williams, who I do uh, too. But if I called him at three in the morning and said, Hey Robin, there's a uh, so-and-so's in trouble. Even if he didn't know him, he'd be like, let's go help him. Let's go help him. And, and I want to be that guy. And I, and, I know, uh, I know you sponsored Chris Farley, 
Yeah. Could normal people be like, will you sponsor me? Or was their celebrity AA different than normal AA? Or was it integrated? Uh, well, normal people have, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, one of my last assistants uh, saw me outside a meeting, and he wasn't my assistant. And he came up and asked me. And I, I, before I went to the meeting, I go, if somebody asked me, I'm going to do it. And uh, and we've still got this longtime friendship. And, you know, he was a kid that got sober very young. Uh, it, it's 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 hard when you relapse and you're sponsoring people for a second, but you know, there is, I can't do a lot of that because I want them to get a good sponsor. I want them that get someone that does that's in touch with them every day available you know, and available. And, and, uh, and, and maybe it's a, a, a cop out, but I can only like the guy that sponsors me sponsors 30 people and he's a very important lawyer. But yet he has the time. He does it, and he he's on it. So is it Alan Dershowitz? What's that? Is it Alan Dershowitz? No, 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 no. It's Jeff McFarland. <laughs> uh, but Alan Dershowitz. But is he your sponsor? No, I don't no. want to break your comment. No, I can't. You know, I can't break him. his anonymity. Bless him. But um, you know, so I I can, and and what I what I say to people when I do that is. You've got to do everything I ask you to do. If I say, call me tomorrow and you don't call me tomorrow, then that's going to be a fucking problem because I, I need this for me too. So I am getting out. My sobriety depends on this shit. So just do that. It's not going to be hard. I'm not like a militant uh, guy, but when I say, let's, uh, you got to call me before you, you use. And, and, and also, and then, Hey, and it's it's like you know we've had we have so many suicides in our in our in our game, you know, and some are some are uh, overt, some are accidental, and some totally. are the the other right. Kind. And you know, I've talked to guys, and I said, listen, guys that I fostered, were on, you know, they were so down and so dark, and there's there is a lot of mental illness too, and I'm great, I'm glad that we talk about that now, but I'd say, uh, listen, they say I want to kill myself, and I said. I have a deal with everybody that I sponsor. Here's the deal. If you want to kill yourself, you call me. I'll come over. We'll talk about it. And maybe if you, if, if I, if you convince me that I will kill you. Right. It's a good, <laughs> it's a bonus. Live anymore. You're not going <laughs> to have to live. There is an out. And, and, uh, and it's, but it's not you doing, we're really going to have to, to talk about this. And, and so far I haven't, killed anybody that's uh, good that's, but, that's, that's but, you know if you really this guy he thinks he's got it's hopeless he really and you know you never know it might be that one guy that's like oh yeah you are you, yeah yeah I, I don't know what to say about that you're right you've done something it's done give me the so, pillow i'm gonna step in uh, with the pillow uh yeah. I, i've listened to you do a lot of interviews um i heard you on howard i love you on howard um, and I, and that's where I heard about the whole Chris Farley thing. I think I had heard about it before, but I was wondering, did Chris Farley ask you to sponsor him or did Lauren say you're going to fucking sponsor this guy? No, no. Uh, Lauren wanted me to, to befriend him. You know, uh, he'd done the impression of me and, and, uh, awesome. uh, uh, and, and we hit it off. Chris Farley and I, he's from Wisconsin. You know, I'm from Iowa. You know, there's so many things we had in common food uh but you know he's very sweet boy and you know what it really uh he you know he did his best it, it was just that there was no there was no 
bottom. You know, he went to 17. He was on his way to a 17th rehab. And he worked it when he was in there, man. He worked hard. And the one was the most recent one was this Alabama rehab where it was bare bones. And, and uh, I remember him talking about this, this the big black attendant that fucking laid him out and had to boo hoo, fuck you, you know. And he was like, uh, but it, whatever it took. But then he would go back. And, you know, he had several issues. Um, you know, as I said at Howard, I said pretty early, listen, you can't do drugs and be fat. You can pick one or the other. You can't do everything. But uh, I loved him. And he certainly, his life, besides his comedy and things, you know, his family got sober after he passed away or during, before. Uh, so that's a legacy. Uh, and, and, and you know, people used to, and I, I used to be one of these bullshitters. They're like, well, he lived 33 years, 33 great years, like Jesus or whoever. And that's really all, but that's bullshit because he would have been a great old man. Wow. You know? I would love him to be here with my kids or his kids. And so we, we need to make ourselves feel better sometimes that people die. And, 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 and that's, that's natural. Well, he, he had a full life where he had his stuff, especially for drugs and alcohol. Right. Well, my partner, Chris, who's also named Chris, he yeah. died and he was, uh, I think he was 33 also or 34 and, and, and he was a sweet, sweet guy, crazy drug addict. And, and now we honor his legacy with this stupid podcast. But of course it would be much nicer if that hadn't had to happen. Uh, I was a big Chris Farley fan. I can't imagine him coming up to you and saying, would you sponsor me? I want what you yeah. have. Was it like yeah. at a meeting? Like how did it happen? Well, I went to out to host Saturday night live and it, and it uh, took place. We had some private time and then, you know, he come, he was great with meetings, you know, and uh, he was, uh, he, you know, when he came out to be on my shows, he would stay with me and, you know, he was, he was great. I mean, I did something to him that <laughs> he went to a place called Pritikin, which is a healthy eating place. It was down there in Santa Monica and his father who, who weighed 700 pounds. I mean, that, that was kind of an issue for him, you know, and man, he loved to make his father laugh. And he talked his father into going in there with him. <laughs> and after a day, my allergies are terrible. <clears throat> After a day, his father checked out and left him there. Imagine the feeling uh, of, of being this son that that thinks, oh, I've done this. Thing. Usually it's the other fucking way around, right? And uh, so he was he was bummed. And so I went and picked him up. And I snuck him out of there because they didn't let, like, civilians. And we went to La Dome, the, the, the fancy restaurant over there on uh, sunset back in the day and then we they used to bring a cart of desserts around they'd wheel it well does anything interest you We're like, yeah, <laughs> all interests. so i took him there we ate everything and then i brought it back but that's not exactly sober behavior by me but but um uh, you know he did you know he he did his best but nobody pulled the the rug out from under him totally you know i think you could shut people down financially I think there's a lot right. of, you know, I've done some very tough love fucking interventions. Like, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. You're coming with me now. And then we'll see what happens. But you're going to be dead in a day. I'm fucking dragging your ass out of here. I've broken in people's houses with the help of their family with maybe a key or a baseball bat. And and sometimes it works. 
and uh, it, it always works at the moment because I'm like, I will fucking not leave here. I'm taking you the fuck out of here. And, uh, um, it, 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 you know, even if it works for a period of years, because Chris uh, certainly had uh, a bunch of, of good years. And but but there's still no excuse. We all I'm as bad as you could be. I know you talk about yourself, too. But but if if we could do it and sit here talking about sobriety today, as fucked up as we potentially are and have been. Sure. That's a fucking crazy miracle. You know, so anybody, these fucking dudes are out there like, you don't get me. You don't get uh, heroin. You don't get opioids. You don't get, you know, I do get it. I fucking get it. And you know what? Uh, it, it, it's awful. Yeah. It's awful. But, you, you know, you got to fucking sack up, you know, and nothing was harder for me to get off of the benzos. I'm going to tell you right fucking now, like uh, 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 Xanax, that shit, that fucking kick was crazy and uh you know because i'm a guy that will go okay no more coke no more alcohol oh opioids oh yeah that oh no no more opioids oh let's start being my own fucking doctor but hold up this is my name this is a very important story here because you fucking get what what do you have 19 years or something you have what were the periods of of time 19 years uh, almost 19 and then and then the opiates from the motorcycle wreck yeah and then i had that and then, uh, you know, I have to talk about this first because when I was a child, yes, you know, I've been very open about this. Uh, There's a pedophile lived across the street, and and bad things happen when you're uh, there's a, there, a pedophile. And 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 when I got sober, you know, as I'm putting my life back together, when I first got sober, I I realized, oh, that's always been there that I was raped by this man. Did you uh, remember the whole time? What I read was that you it came back to you when you were making that movie, The Gardens of the Night. Well, I mean, that was a difficult movie to make. I have to say this, but it came back to me before because, you know, I went back and, and confronted him in 1990 or 1991. So you knew. You, you was with you from I when you were four. But it's like laying outside and looking at the clouds. You're like, that's just a bunch of clouds. And then you get sober and you're like, oh, no, that's what that was. And I did a lot of research. I went back to my old neighborhood uh, and and uh, found uh, tried to find the boys that I grew up with and get the story together. And uh, they weren't a lot of them didn't want to talk about it because they thought it was gay. <laughs> a man would rape you. Um, but I I did talk about it. And their sisters were very helpful. So I realized uh, when my sister uh, um, got arrested, you know, I, at that time I was talking about being sexually abused and 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 things and. At my sister's uh, first trial, uh, a woman came up to me and said, um, "Yeah, I I know who um, I know who sexually abused you, and and it was uh, Terry Waves." I said, "Well, how do you know him? I, I I'm married to his brother, and he did it to him." Oh and so God. that right there, I was like, "Okay, I'm going to find this guy. I'm going to go in, confront him in the healthiest possible way." I practiced with my therapist and get my speech down. My brothers, who I have four younger brothers who are maniacs, they'll find anybody. They locate him in Des Moines. He's a big business leader, a big church leader. I go, I practice before I do this because you get in a lot of fucking trouble. And, but I highly recommend it. Uh, I, I walked into his place of business. They're like, oh my God, it's Tom Arnold. I said, I'm here to see Terry. They're like, well, we're going to call him. And let him. I go, don't let him, don't call him. I'm going to surprise him. I hadn't seen him in years. And I have to say this, in my mind, and this is a, 
ego thing. I was like, yeah, I'm not, I don't want to be walking around fucking Walmart in my hometown and have this guy behind me going, see that famous guy? I fucked him. I was like, I'm taking the fucking initiative. And so we had one of those scenes where he came out of his office ahead of me and we walking down the hall and, you know, and I hadn't seen him in a while. He's a big, big dude, but I'm giving my speech. I'm here to be- give you back the pain and shame you caused me as a kid. And if you try to do that to me now, I'd break your fucking neck. And, but he came right up on me and stuck his finger in my chest. And for a moment, I felt like I was four, five, six. And I could smell the laundry in his backyard. And I was like scared for a second. And then I went, oh no, I am a full grown fucking man now. And took his, his hand back and put him up on the wall and said, did you hear me? I said, I'd break your fucking neck. And by then his employees had come out because Tom Arnold was visiting their boss. And so they got to see a little bit of that. But I went out of there and I just remember walking out of the building like, fuck, I am fucking free. I feel so fucking good. I feel so good. I called Rosanna and said, oh, you won't believe it. I just feel. And then I went straight across the street to the to the Iowa State Capitol building, walked, busted right into the governor's office. I'm like, listen, the statute of limitations for this motherfucker is up, and he's about to adopt his fourth uh, boy. you got to fucking stop this. And, and the, the governor is like, holy fuck, Tom, you're asking me to commit a federal offense? you asking me as a federal offense. Get the fuck out of here. He goes, this is. And, and so I was like depressed because, you know, I talked to all the police. They're like, well, it's been over seven years. It's been, they were as helpful as they could be. And, and, then, uh, and then three days later, my brother called me and said, there's been a snafu in the paperwork and he cannot adopt this next child. And I felt like, okay, I've really done it. I've outed him. I've said his name. I've confronted him. I've talked to other survivors. Eventually like 30 kids came forward. But I said, have I really warned everyone? So, my brothers at, at, at farmhands uh, every twice a week for six weeks put up posters around his house in the in the four block area, kid high, that had his face, his name, his crimes, and uh, and I thought I just need to warn the other little Tommies, little you know Denny's, the other kids out there, and so I felt like okay, that's done, that's done over, and then my when my son was born. Um, you know, I was 54, he was born, and as he started growing older, I, 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 there were several times where I realized, holy fuck, that's what I looked like when all this shit went down? I, he's a perfect angel, and so was I. Because you could push it off. You'd go, well, maybe I was a bad kid or ugly or fucking weird. But no, I was perfect. And it is shocking that adults would do that fucking shit to you. <laughs> and I couldn't sleep. And uh, and I started being my own doctor uh, and giving myself benzos. But how did you get them? How did you get them? Did you go see a shrink? Right. So you said, I'm suffering anxiety. Yeah, I said, I can't sleep or I got this. And I'm sure there were some shady ways, too. But, you know, people will give you those. Um, But I, of course, would take eight a day, whatever. And, 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 you know, and and I did try to get off of those. I went uh, cold turkey for for two weeks, which I don't recommend if you are really addicted to them because you can have, I was a uh, terrible, I was a terrible benzo addict. I was a heroin addict. I was a stoner and I was a crazy benzo addict. And when I would stop taking Ben, I had like 10 seizures, 12 seizures, you know, all over the place. Did you have seizures? I didn't have seizures, but I had fucking the shakes and I'd, I'd kick, uh, I'd kick 
the alcohol I get and it, you know there's some dark couple dark days in there but this was so crazy and then I went down and uh, the guys in my group uh, confronted me and they said something's up with you and I said yeah I can't pick fucking quit taking this and I also was playing when you disassociate when you're sexually abused as a child your brain just can't quite handle it and thank God and you disassociate so instead of you know having even though I can remember what the fucking wall tasted like when I had my face smashed up against it and, and stuff. But in that moment, you're like hoping that Superman comes through that door. Like literally the Superman, because you get to that place, you're, you're disassociated. You're like, you know, cause it's painful. It's horrible. And then in your mind, you're like, well, what if my dad or Superman and, and uh, you survive like that, but I, it also makes it so easy to disassociate. When I started drinking alcohol, I was like, oh, fuck, I don't even need to be raped. I could do it with this alcohol and these drugs. I could become, come in this other world. Now, with benzos, it was the worst because you literally, in my feeling, you are running a tape. There's a there's real world. And then there, you know how we, uh, let's call it daydream. Except it becomes a, a second movie of the same life that's played at the same time. And I know people, when I, went, I eventually went down to Crossroads, uh, uh, Eric Clapton spot. Yeah. How is and, that? Well, it was, it was good. Um, the first day, first week I was there, you aren't supposed to watch do the internet, but I'm a terrible, uh, rule breaker. And, and a guy that I loved and knew from sobriety, Chris Cornell had killed himself. And I, you know, I, I called his wife, but I get it. He, he was taking fucking benzos and you get it up. You know, he, he had an argument with his wife and, you know, and, and, and in his case, you know, I could just see it because you know, he had his workout bands on the door of the bathroom where he exercised it and stuff. And when you, when you see something like that and you're fucked up like that, you're like, yeah, I can hang myself with that. And you then you start putting your head and you play the fucking movie. And then all, when you're all fucked up, you're not sure what's the movie and what's the reality. What's reality. And so, you know, him and uh, Chester Bennington, you know, write what after another and but that is that could be me so as you know from being addicted to that stuff it's there's nothing <laughs> the bottom line is there's no controlled substance there's no mood altering no. substance that's going to work for us i mean it's good to realize that it's good to survive long enough to realize that and when you came back from that was it like I'm starting over again. Did you, 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 yep. you started day count from one. Did you give up your sponsees? Like, how does that work? No, no. Um, well, I gave up, uh, my sponsees had, <laughs> had, uh, moved on. My big, my sponsor is sort of like a clearinghouse where, where if you can't work with people, I still do, but he'll take over or, you know, and sometimes relationships don't work out with your sponsor. Sometimes you don't like your fucking sponsor. You know, I mean, I would, I would give it time. Uh, the, 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 the step of going up to a person and saying, would you consider sponsoring me? That takes balls too. Yeah. But I would give it some time and see if you like each other. If you don't, you fire them or her and, and you move on, but you gotta be, you gotta either be looking for a sponsor or, or having a sponsor, I think. Uh, but yeah, I did start, I started over and I just had four years. Well, congratulations. Uh, which we celebrated. Uh, my kid, my son, the eight-year-old son, made me a fucking terrific cake. Nice. My daughter and my son, they're very involved. My daughter's five. They're very aware of my sobriety. 
They're, uh, you know, I'm very honest with them about it. Um, you know, I'd like to say that my son has never seen me uh, uh, not focused, but you know, it, you know, four years ago he was four, and there was some, you know, with benzos, you think, oh yeah, everything's good, and, and his mom takes them still, and so there's times when you, you know, uh, that I'm sure that he realized, well, dad is not, you know, because they're so connected. The moment they're born. They start fucking look at you and whatever you felt before you talk about unconditional love, these fucking, and there's no way I could ever sad sack. Well, I've been divorced four times. I had my mom left, whatever, because that unconditional love you get for these babies instantly and go both ways. You just can't. Cause they look at you like you're the fucking King. I, everything changes. I need you to be a hundred percent, nobody else, but you. And it is such an honor and a privilege and also to feel it, to feel it every day. Yeah. You know, some days the kids are, you know, they're fighting or uh, my son <laughs> yesterday, he said, uh, I wrote it down. I refuse to be inspired because <laughs> I said, listen, you got to find things that inspire you. So I'd like you to work on uh, this. And he's like, I refuse to be inspired. And I just died laughing. Because he's so adamant that perfect, he be perfect inspired. defiance. Yeah, and I wake up every day. You know, I've had some also some health issues, uh, as most people have. But I wake up every day and go, "This, my kids are here." You know, I had to go to court to get them. I had to do all this stuff. But what a fucking bl a blessing! What a gift! What a, the all the promises came true for me. Everything. You know, I have been in 130 movies, and I always say four good ones, but a few more. I said, but. This is my life. I've done everything. I've done all this. Every dream has come true. But this, every day with these kids, this is it. And this is why, not just I'm sober, but this is my life. And, you know, uh, people with fame and, and fortune, which which uh, goes away, the fortune for sure. Um, you know, that's exciting. And I always felt like I'm running, 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 and I'm not appreciating it. Oh, fuck it. It's money. It's whatever. And, and I wish I'd done better with that, but there's no nothing uh, comparable for me, not for everybody, not everybody. You know, I always said I dreamed to be a father. I dreamed to be a father. And thank God I, I meant it because it is on. You can talk a big game, but it's on. And, you know, when my son was born, I was 54. My friends are like, hey, dude, let let the mom do everything till he's seven. They'll be fun. And I'm like, I don't know where I'll fucking be when he's seven. I'm going to change every diaper. I'm going to do everything. And then my daughter, same way. And I said, that's money in the bank for them. Let me tell you something. I don't know if they're going to be uh, alcoholics. I don't know. They have a proclivity because of me, but, but they're never going to not feel loved. Right. And they're never going to not feel taken care of. And so that's the best we could do. I feel the same way. I, I feel the same way about my kids. I did something fucked up last night with my older daughter though. Do you want to hear a quick story? Okay. Yeah, of course. I get home. Like I, I, I get up at four in the morning to go to Katz's and set up fucking catering events and whatever. And then I come and I work on the podcast. I, I live deep on Long Island. I get back to yeah. Long Island like at seven. And, and, yeah. and my wife is like, we're going to go see an Almond Brothers Led Zeppelin cover band in town. And I was like, okay. You know, and she's like, meet us yeah. there. So I'm like, okay. And, and yeah. I have an 11 year old and I have a four year old and, and they, they all had dinner but they didn't bring me dinner. And I'm feeling my, my, my addict rise up. Like, why didn't yeah. they think of me? 
Like, where's my fucking dinner? You know, and then yeah. the night's getting longer and longer. And then it's like nine o'clock. And, the, and I have the four year old won't let my wife put her to bed. She says, Daddy, do it. Daddy, yeah. do it. Which I, I love and I hate. So yeah. I'm like, we got to go. It's over. We got to go. And, and, and my wife, who's not an addict or an alcoholic, she likes to drink a little bit. She's like schmoozing with her friend. She's like, let yeah, me just finish this thing. And I'm like, like a human being, right? Like a normal human being. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Fucking shit. And I'm like, we got to go. It's done. I had to get up this morning. The same thing. And, uh, and I'm like, I'm going to drive Nora home. Who's the older one. And I say to Nora, I say, Nora, I want to go to Seven Eleven and get some ice cream. Before we, before we go home. And she goes, daddy, you always want something sweet. And I was like, I was like, let me just go. And she's like, no, I want to go home. And we get home and it turns out that Nora during the concert had snuck off and had a chocolate shake. And then she deprived me of getting something sweet. And, and, and and my wife says, go kiss Nora. Good night. And this is where the worst piece of me ever happens. I, I climb up into her bunk bed and I said, you did a very bad thing tonight. <laughs> I said, you had a shake and then told me that I can't have something sweet. I said, not good. And then I kissed her on the head and I closed the door. And then this morning I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I was like the Jewish mother of guilt shit. And she FaceTimes me and she's like, daddy, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, no, it was me. I never should have made you feel guilty, but it's like classic, right? But she's also so cool. That she FaceTime you to say, I'm sorry. Oh, she's the best. And, uh, and uh, you know, you sound, your wife sounds amazing. It sounds like you got so much going for you. Um, <laughs> it's, that's a great, very sweet. My kids, who are uh, five and eight, my son has never slept in his own bed. I have a craftmatic or a double thing. And my daughter's 99% of the time sleeps in there. I think when you go through a, an acrimonious divorce, uh, like uh, like I did, uh, they we did four years ago. Um, they've just seen it. Just I mean, one day you know they have bedrooms. <laughs> I really make them nice, but you know you appreciate every day like that. And they and feel you, safe you, to sleep with you, which is the most beautiful yeah, piece of, of all. Of course, and once in a while, my son, you know, even though he's older, will say, "Daddy, would you would you?" Because what I do is I get I get him in bed one at a time. Usually, because we'll be doing something and my son usually goes first like he'll just say i'm going to sleep uh, let's go to sleep and then my daughter will sit up with me and watch whatever i'm watching and she'll fall asleep without carrying it and then i my thing is then i okay now they're i see them now i can take my shower do my thing but once in a while he'll say daddy would you uh would you would you lay in bed with me like he you can tell he's easy he's still a baby our kids are always going to be our babies and same with their 11. And when my daughter does it, I just, the old me was like, oh, can I finish my stuff? Right. You know, and then you miss out on that moment because really you don't have to lay that long with them before they go to sleep. But, um, but it's something I, and also I think people like us get our feelings hurt or have had them hurt. And that's a good thing to remember. Like, oh, I don't want to be the person that hurts this feeling. I'm going to lay awkwardly side you know with between these two kids and the weirdest to, you know i i can't imagine my dad doing that he'd be like i need to sleep and my dad Love neither my dad my dad like barely touched me he's a great father but he was yeah. not like that yeah. it wasn't like he wasn't putting me yeah. to bed and shit you know yeah well and i think you do sound like a fucking jewish mother when you're like 
What about yeah, white knuckle? I know, I know, it's fucked up. But, but I think that's we can't help certain things that we do. You know, lecturing my kids, I'll talk to them and talk to them, and then they're like, "Can you please stop talking?" And I just would like, you know, if something goes wrong here, um, you know, I, I and sometimes I've overreacted, man. I fucking yelled. I've sworn. You know, if my son's a big boy. You know, if he decides he's going to sit down the hall and just ruin, he's not ruining everybody's night. And I'll pick him up. I'll carry him in there. And then in a bedroom, I'll put my, I'll come in with him, put my back on his door and he'll throw stuff at me and I'll throw it back. And, and then eventually I get a hold of him on the ground and just look me in the eyes. I say, you got to look me in the eyes for one minute. Just calm the fuck down because I also was that kid. So, you know, uh, it, you know, it, it's, it's constant. It, it being a know-it-all like I am, I assume a lot of times I know what he did wrong, because uh, that's what I would have done or this. And I've learned that I'm wrong a lot. I'm, I'm wrong at the worst times. He may have done something fifty times, but this time he's completely innocent. So you know, if I have to go, I make amends for that, uh, which I'll do. Um, you know, because it's always the balance. How do I be? You know, I want to guide them. But I also feel this. I'll just say this last. These kids, they come to us here fully formed. They come to us, and it's my job to figure out how t- they can become who they are. And, and uh, to protect them, obviously. And, uh, but but that's, that's really an interesting thing for me, too, to just figure out every day and see things. And how do I? I've gotten everything. I've gotten everything. How do I put them in a position to where get they can, who they are? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I tell, I tell my older one, like she can do anything. And I mean, like before I was a heroin addict, like I was producing TV and I was doing this shit that I always wanted to do. And I fucked it up, you know, to the point of like 12 years of destitution and like misery. Right. And like, and I'm like, Nora, you can do whatever you want. All you have to do is do it. And it's yours. Like, it's like, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing to be able to tell somebody that and know it's true. And also for me to say, I know. And she says, well, why didn't it happen for you? And I was like, you, I mean, I've told her because she knows about dopey. I'm like, you know what happened with me? I made some bad decisions and I lost my life because of the decisions. Now I have my life back, but you don't have to have that problem. You can have all the good stuff. You know, I, I feel like you do. I, I love being a father more than anything. Yeah. Tom, I cannot thank you enough for right, being buddy. so generous. Your generosity you. is amazing. Was this the You're greatest right. interview of your life? Yes. It was, right? It was uh, the best. Yes, the greatest. All right. Thank you. You're a beautiful person. Keep doing what you do, man. It's thank important. you. Right on. All right, buddy. Wait, love wait, wait, wait. One more thing before you go. And this is just me making a hopeless plea. August 16th, we're doing this thing called Dopey Day, which was Chris. Chris was my partner, and it was his birthday, August 16th. And we're calling it Christmas in August. And basically, we're trying to get people involved with Dopey to put the Dopey logo over their eyes to end the stigma. So would you do it? What do you put it over my eyes? I don't know. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll doctor up a picture with the Dopey logo, and I'll give it to you. And I'll get it to you. And it's the first day of school. It's also the first day of in-person school in a year and a half. In well, a year and seven you don't have so, to do I it. Got August 16th. You don't have to I, do it. No, you don't have to no, do no, it. No, no, no. I can, I can do that and go to school. I'm, I'm excited my kids get into I've been homeschooling, so it'll be a special day. Send me how it – explain what exactly what I should do. I will. 
the example, and of course I'll do it. And also, if your sister ever wants to come on the show to tell more about her story, you know, she can come on any time. I will pass that along to her. You know, uh, <laughs> that'd be that'd be good. I'm very proud of her. I'm very proud of her. And, uh, you know, she's uh, come a long way. And I think you'd, you'd have a lot of fun with her. She's tough. <laughs> you, you know, I think it would be awesome. Uh, though. I think it would be an awesome yeah, episode. It would be great. Tom, I, I, I cannot thank you enough. Right. You're super generous. Thank you. Have a beautiful right, day. You're beautiful. You later. later man. Bye. bye. All right, that was Tom Arnold, and we recorded it with a new technique, which I thought was actually a good technique. So all of you fucking techno-files out there in the Dopey Nation who have something to say about my recording technique, what'd you think of that technique? Write an email, dopeypodcast at gmail.com. And because I couldn't live with doing an, a vacation episode with no one from the family, I've invited my very tan... Very old and very wealthy father. Back to the show. Alan, welcome back, Dad. Yeah, oh, he's he's at the palatial mansion. Yeah, at the at the lake with the, the ancestral uh what's the, the, ho- the uh, homestead? Ancestral home? Something no, like it's that. It's not ancestral home. Anyway, thirty four years. And the roof is leaking. You haven't had this house for thirty four no, years. No, only twenty twenty four, twenty five years. Now my dad has a big announcement oh. to make. To the Dopey Nation, Dad. I know you've been rehearsing. Wait, hold on. I know you've been rehearsing this for a long time. This is your chance. Hold on. Let me. I give you Alan, I, listen, my father. No, I, he's this, a very beautiful, wealthy man. This thing, the the the, the uh, what do you call it? that one? Star- Why don't you say hello to the audience first? I, the, the, hello, everybody. Hello. I thought I did. Well, before before we get to see, your, he's interrupting. Before again. we get to your uh, announcement. I want to. Do you have anything you'd like to say to the audience about the show or how they're doing or anything in general? You know, I wish everybody the best health and happiness that you can possibly have, and keep listening to the show. Well, you know, I I have spent a little time with my dad's new lady friend up here, and um, and she's a she's a friend and she's a lady, correct? Yes. Okay. And uh, the first thing she said to me was that I'm way too mean to my father. I guess she meant on the show because she doesn't know how mean I am to you. Off the <laughs> yeah, show. in real life, you're worse. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, no, no. Listen, everybody knows out there there's, that uh, there's a lot of shtick, but sometimes he really gets me upset. Like when? <laughs> like forcing me to read these one star reviews that I refuse to read and I keep reading them. Well, I, I saw, yeah, there was a Patreon video special where my dad read. Uh. Many one-star reviews, and as he was saying he would never do it, he's putting on his reading glasses. As he's saying, I'm never going to do this, he's putting on the glasses. Listen, I know I was going to be duped again. Anyway, that and the one-star review was the privileged white man review. From and, New York City Sarah. Right. And, Hold oh, on. In New York City Sarah, I don't think you're listening, but if you are still listening, please... Write an email to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Tell us how you feel. All right. It, it, in reality, I am not going to apologize to the Sarah, but yes, of course I'm a white privileged man. Yes. And, and yes, I am wealthy. Wow. But not- Wait, hold on, hold on. You're just killing the whole, you're killing our announcement. So, so dad, what's the announcement you want to make? That I'm not, I'm not going to deny the, the wealth part because people, you have to understand that this is not inherited wealth. This is not huge amount of wealth. It's just that I am certainly better off than most people. That's all I want to admit to. I'm well, better you're, off you're, than You're not most doing people. a good announcement. That's good enough for me. So, so let me back it up for a second. I want you to describe to the Dopey Nation 
What, how did you grow up? I grew up in a housing project in Queens. How many brothers lived in the same room? It was three brothers in a room the size of a closet. What did the elevator smell like? It was perfectly fine. It smelled like either urine or chicken soup. That's what I have to say. <laughs> well, let's or, go with or, chicken soup. I think it was more urine. Um, so you grew up, you'd say, and what did your father do for a living? He, he was a meat inspector, and then he also, actually, he cut meat like in Katz's Delicatessen kind of thing. For like a year or something. Oh, no, in a no, bar, no. but not at Katz's. No, at Katz's, he was retired and just helped out. No, he was working in, in a store, the uh, White Rose Tavern on, on Flatbush and Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn. And what did your mother do? She stayed at home. So would you say you grew up, would you, if you had had a podcast, would you call your parents wealthy or your parents' world a wealthy world? Of course not. So that's the point. You're, so, that's, yeah. and, and why don't you describe And your, my world is not a wealthy world either. I'm, I'm just saying the, to Sarah that, yes, yeah, I am privileged. You don't need to talk to Sarah. Sarah's not listening. <laughs> Sarah's, Sarah's not gone. <laughs> Forget Sarah. Talk to the audience. Explain to the audience how you've achieved wealthy status. It has to do with two things. Wait, hold on, hold on. One more thing. He's Before, interrupting. Uh, just calm down. Before we get to what he's going to say, we're going to call this the financial advice from Alan segment. Now, you know there's a lot of dummies in the audience. A lot of fools, a lot of idiots. That's a not lot of, nice. Let's call them irresponsible people. Well, maybe you've been irresponsible. Yeah, maybe that's true. Yeah. You're talking about me or them? Well, you certainly. Yes. Oh, I'm talking about myself also. So my father, I, I told my friend at work, uh, Alex, that you've, you are claimed to have never made a bad decision. That's not true. That, you say that all the time. No, 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 no. Name three bad decisions you've made. I, I'm not going to be able to. Name one. No, the, listen, the idea is to think think through things hold and on, see what on. the before, outcome before may be. Before you give the advice, I want you to name one bad decision you've made. Oh, there's a few. With, All right, well, well, come on. What do you no, no, no. This is an important it, segment. It, it, it has to do with to be able to treat people nicely and try to be honest. And sometimes I was too honest and that was not good enough. Ah, yeah. And later in life. That's later in life. That's what I'm saying. Your honesty got you caught up in situations that you would have. So yeah. the decision making you became be, harder once mom died. Yes. You didn't have, you had to make more decisions. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. To, to figure out how to deal with you. Because yes. mom made all the decisions. She, she. So maybe that's why you never no, made no, a bad decision. I'm, I'm going to give you the story. She made decisions like everything that had to do with the house. But I made decisions about who should get into the United Nations and what policy the, the United States For government who? should For who? <laughs> I just You told her what to do with that and she no, did it? No, That doesn't not. sound accurate. That's, I'm joking, everybody. All right, we ought to move on? Or no, did no, I now say you're going to give your financial advice. My, oh, the financial advice is actually maybe twofold. One, education, and two... What do you mean, what education? to be skilled in something that you enjoy to be skilled with and to make a living with and something that you're happy with. Yes, that's a very important thing. I, I was very happy teaching. Uh, and some people, you know, could never, could never be happy and teaching. And two? And two is to save. It's, it's put away part of your income every month and save because the days come like my days are coming when all of a sudden you can't work anymore and you, you're, you're in need of having, having income. It's but you're, important. you're still working. Well, you call it working. I'm <laughs> teaching one So you're class. saying make hay while the sun is shining Ab and, and early. store. And, and keep doing it. Keep doing it. I, I was 
putting money away for, for Nora's and Susie's education when they were born. And a little bit, you'll see, after 18 years, are going to add up. Now, stop for a yeah. second. The, the, what made you decide to change your tune and come on the show and say you're wealthy now when you've cried poverty for six years on the show? Because she was comparing me to some incredible... I mean, she was... New York saying, City she, Sarah. She was... Oh, you brought, you brought up a good point. She's saying I'm living in this huge uh, apartment in Manhattan. That You tell the, the Dobie Nation who built that apartment and who was supposed to live in, in Manhattan. Working class people were supposed to live there, is your point? Yes. Yes. And you're saying that... I'm, you're saying that you have been poor... You've been working class, and now you, you've become wealthy through savings and, and smart. Look, the term wealthy, I don't like it. I, I'm, I'm fine. I'm well-to-do. I feel comfortable. So wealthy and, is not that you're and not wealthy. I, I'm telling you, and, it, and, it, and the third thing maybe is hard work. I mean, you know, two, three jobs at once. But again, the, the, be responsible, and you'll see it'll work out fine. All right. Do you want to read a review? Do I have to? I mean, I think I need to get back to the beach. Back to the beach? <laughs> yeah. Here, here you go. This is the latest one. Thank you from Max's Nuts. Five stars. Hey, everyone. Found this podcast for the drug stories at first, and after listening for a while and after looking back on most of my past, I realized that I had been an addict for years and didn't know it. Is that possible? Just read the review, please. I always knew my parents had problems throughout the years, and after learning about the ways of the ones in serious addiction, I realized that it wasn't healthy spending money I didn't have on weed and alcohol every day. What that, an appropriate review. That was my advice. Yes, do not do it like I did. While I, kicked, while, while I kicked, I listened to every last episode of this podcast, and it put me in... It put me in full-out belly laughs and full-on crying in my work in my work bathroom. For better or worse, I'll always stand by this dopey nation, and I am eternally grateful I happened to stumble across this life-changing community. Thank you all. Stay strong, and toodles for Chris. All right, Dad. You want to read another one? Or you, 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 now you look like you want to read another one. Um, here, get me another one. You want to read another one? Not well. That's because I think I'm, you know, people are at the beach that maybe are missing us. All right, here you go. Uh, this is C.C. Brown, K.C. I am so, five stars. I am so grateful for this podcast and truly hope you keep this thing going, Dave. It, it's truly amazing to think you have been pushing these out weekly for over five years. I commend you and all the help is that is received from your family and others that have joined in over time. My date is 5-20-2020. That's over a year. My latest episode was Vinny, and he says, wow, is all I can say. That was one dopey episode that I, of I have ever heard. It was this one, is the worst red review I've I ever just, seen in listen, my life. That's a bad sentence. That was one dopey episode of I have just ever give me heard thing. one. No. I look forward that to... That was a dopey episode if I've ever heard one. He left out the if. I look forward to a lifetime of these with you being a sober man. Yeah, me too, everybody. I have much debauchery and plan to send an email or voicemail sometime soon. Chad, that's his name, Chad. That's great, Dad. Terrible, terrible read. Now, before we go, I have an idea. I, I have an idea. I want to hear what you think about this idea. Yes. I'm thinking, you know how like we play dopey voicemails on the show? Yes. What if... 
if we play someone's dopey voicemail, I give them a free hat. And maybe they'll send in better dopey voicemails. That's a great idea. So if you have a great dopey story and you can tell it funny and well and around and five minutes. What that? No, no, I know. Speak. What? Actually, my dad saying it better than me. He hates <laughs> he hates the dopey stories, but I'm sure some of the dopey stories you've enjoyed. So, what makes a good dopey voicemail to you, Dad? If there's success at the end, you don't like the DMT or uh, what, the acid in the eyes. You don't uh, like those. This no. How about the needle misfiring? Sorry, dad? you don't like those. Those aren't your favorites. Listen, no. So you like a positive dopey? You like a good ending to a dopey voice? Yeah, I want I want happiness at the end. Yeah. I want goodness. I just want it to be funny, hard hitting. I like DMT in the story. I like needle needle hijinks. Everyone thinks I like excrement and urine in oh. the story, but I don't. That's not my thing. Thank goodness. That's just not my thing. I'm glad to hear that. Anyway, we have to get back to the vacation. I'm glad. That I haven't missed a show in, you know, a long time. Yeah. So we didn't miss this week. And Tom Arnold was a sensational guest. You haven't heard it yet. Yeah, of course I haven't heard sensational. it. Sensational. What, you wish you would hear it in advance? No. That's no, what you're I'm, looking I'm, for? I'm fine. You want advanced episodes? <laughs> no, it's okay. Everything is fine the way it is. It's and great. are you excited to do a Patreon vi uh, video to show your yacht and everything and all that stuff? Oh, we have a new addition. It's a paddle board that goes with the sinking rowboat. He bought it for, for Nora today. Yeah, we did it. Yes, it and was we tied a, it was to a, the roof. Of the it car. was a team job. We did it. It was very, very good. Uh, He's a very generous father and grandfather. All right, say. so stay strong, Dopey Natals, and toodles for Chris. Dopey Natals, Dopey Nation. That's he said. Dopey Natals. He said all day. He said we're gonna get the paddle ball instead of paddleboard. Now you say Dopey Natals. That was the other thing that your ladies' <laughs> friend said that maybe you're not as as uh, as together as you once were. <laughs> She said that. And I should be nicer to you because your faculties might be a bit diminished. I'm still a member of the faculty. Of the dopey no. natals. <laughs> dopey natals. Stay strong. <laughs> Good night. Goodbye, everybody. Love to everybody. Stay strong, dopey nation. Fucking toodles for Chris. And thank you, Dad. I want to take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I want to be good so bad. want to be so good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good so bad. Bad desire's all I ever had. And I want to take a ride up in the sky. Watch this aeroplane just pass me by And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive But I want to be good so bad Want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had and my shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand Shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand And I wonder would they pay it any mind When I leave this busted city far behind I'll take the high road however far it winds because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find And I want to be good so bad 
so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desires all I ever had. Damn it, all these suckers make me mad. And it's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had. And these suckers make me mad, and I wanna call my dad. And it's all I ever had. 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 These suckers make me mad, and it's all I ever had, and I wanna call my dad, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had.